This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, May 12, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only. I'm actually in New York this morning getting ready to do some uh, interviews uh, for a project for ESPN. Taylor's got the day off. Sarah Abbott is back. Sarah, welcome back to the show. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm so happy to be back. It feels so good. I was definitely starting to get bored. All right. What did you miss the most while you're a week away from the podcast? I just missed, you know, what? I missed the bleacher tweeters. I missed the sassy Taylor rants. I missed it all. I missed it all. Uh, well, you know, we talked about maybe having you do a rant today. What do you think about that? Oh, oh, I can do a rant. I mean, it won't probably be baseball related, but I can do a rant. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we'll work through it. All right. So from last night's game, Giants and Diamondbacks, what a night for Casey Schmidt, the rookie third baseman shortstop who was called up this week in his first plate appearance. This is what he did in Arizona. High. Deep down the line. It is out of here. Oh, goodness. Well, wow. What a first impression. My goodness. I mean, he just saw that breaking ball early, and I mean, he got both cheeks into this thing, and he hits it in the second deck. Boom! Just unloads. There was no fool in him at all. Giants win 62. Alex Cobb pitched really well. Uh, Casey Schmidt, number four prospect in the organization. We're going to be hearing more about him uh, later on the podcast from Sarah Langs. Kansas City Royals have been showing some life this week. Freddie Fermin came to the plate with an opportunity to walk it off. Give a listen to what happened. And a bunt attempt, the bunt is down, and Fermin wins the game! You can't bring the infield in that far. And school is out. And the catcher, Zavala, and, the, and Ronaldo Lopez are like, oh my gosh, they're gonna win the game right here. The Tampa Bay Rays were in New York uh, taking on the Yankees, and Josh Lowe came to the plate with an opportunity to apply the coup de grace. There's a high shot back into deep right center field. That baby is going to go over the bullpen up into the stands. What a blast off the bat of Josh Lowe, his eighth home run of the year. The Rays now 30-9 and nine after their 8-2 victory. Think about how great that is so far. 30-9. and nine. Uh, They've opened, opened up a nine-game lead in the American League East. They did have a couple of injury notes. Wanda Franco had to exit yesterday's game after hitting a single in the fifth inning. Uh, he grimaced, grabbed at his neck with a left arm. Kevin Cash told reporters after the game they're going to treat it, and there's a chance he'll be back in the lineup today. Uh, the Rays also cleared right-hander Tyler Glass now, who was uh, in the process of working his way back from an oblique injury to make his next minor league rehabilitation start a uh, day after a start was cut short by left side tightness. You know who got it done for the Minnesota Twins yesterday? It was Carlos Correa, who came to the plate with a score tied 3-all, bottom of the seventh. And the 1-0 pitch pulled, fair inside third down the left field line. Jeffers scores, Taylor has third base. He's got the green light from Watkins as Soto bobbles the ball. Two-run score, they're 
Dorsey, four, and the Twins take a 5-3 lead. Biggest swing in this young season for Correa. A go-ahead, two-out, two-run double. That sound from the Treasure Island Baseball Network. The Texas Rangers have been one of baseball surprise teams this year. They were playing the Oakland Athletics, and Nathan Evaldi took care of business in the bottom of the ninth. The 3-2 fastball in there for a called third strike right on the outside corner. Allen victimized by the strikeout. It is the 12th strikeout for Evaldi. That is a new career high for him. 12 strikeouts for Evaldi. Final score there was 4-0. That sound from 105.3, the fan. A couple of other notes for the Texas Rangers. Uh, Corey Seager, as Bruch Bochi forecast for us a couple weeks ago, began his injury rehabilitation stint in the minor leagues, and veteran reliever Ian Kennedy was designated for assignment. He had gotten off to a slow start for the Rangers this year. Sarah, what else you got? All right, Buster. Well, the NFL schedule is out, so be sure to check out our full slate of NFL shows, including the Adam Schefter podcast. Last week, he had on Laura Rutledge, and this week he has on some experts breaking down what to expect from the NFL schedule. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. That's vividseats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravage. Baseball tonight. Carl Ravitch, play-by-play man uh, for Sunday Night Baseball. And this week, with Ravi, we're going to be in Fenway Park for the Red Sox and Cardinals. How's the Ravi train doing this week? Ravi train's excited. Um, you know, I grew up 20 minutes west of uh, Fenway Park. I get a chance to see my mom on Mother's Day pregame, which will be really exciting and fun for me. I, you know, I don't see her nearly as much as I'd like to now. Uh, so it's a, it's a really neat day. Um, being up in that area where all of my family is uh, is from, so I'm looking I'm looking forward to it in a special way on Sunday for sure. Yeah, and I'm I was because I was traveling east yesterday. I was not able to be on the on the Zoom prep call that uh, we have every Thursday. I'm curious about the conversation that you guys had first about the St. Louis Cardinals who had just a week of upheaval. Uh, yeah. Wilson Contreras being moved out of the catcher spot. Uh, you know all the backlash and all the you know the different dominoes, the effect on some of the young players. 
what was the talk that you guys had or what was sort of some of the thoughts that you guys shared on that call yesterday? Yeah, I mean, with regards to the Cardinals and the Red Sox, but I'll focus on the Cardinals. It's these two teams that are that are having very different seasons. Uh, the Cardinals were picked to do very well and they're not doing very well. And the Red Sox were picked to finish fifth and you know, they're having a very good start to their season. They're playing well. They're beating some good teams. Some of the young players are, are playing very well. A- almost mirror opposites of what you would expect each to do, the other is doing. The young players are performing for Boston and the sort of stagnated development of the young players in St. Louis. Um, the Contreras thing's real interesting. You could just sense, and even David Cohn talked about this, there was a year or a part of a year in which he was – he was in the same boat that that he believes some of the Cardinals pitchers are in, which is to blame the catcher for their bloated numbers. And he said, I did the same thing with Posada, and I realized it ain't the catcher. You know, it, it's it's on me. It's not the catcher. Uh, we discussed pitch com and the ability now of pitchers to call their own games. If that's an yeah. issue, let, let the pitchers call their own games. And they took it further. You know, they basically signed Contreras to be an offensive catcher. And now when you take an offensive catcher and move him into the DH role, uh, you're eliminating a DH and you're neutralizing the advantage you thought you were getting by having an offensive catcher. You know, Kisner's going to occasionally get a hit. He's not Contreras offensively. So you have that part of it. You have a pitching staff that doesn't strike guys out and a defense that has traditionally been really good. uh, And their defensive numbers this season are down. So you have a pitch-to-contact staff and when they put the ball in play, the defense isn't making the plays. We're going to do a little deeper dive into why, if the shift is playing a role in some of that. Uh, individuals are not having great years relative to their past. But, you know, the Contreras trickle-down effect is fairly massive. Um, yes, and, you know, enormous. <laughs> it's enormous. And Mosellac, of course, figured, look, it's, a, it's, it's to some degree a plug-and-play. We... We need to replace a catcher. We have the best catcher available. We just we just signed him. We're in great shape. Um, and I, I think that the I think we'll find the opinion of the analysts on Sunday night is this was a very hastily made move that has all sorts of consequences to it. So what's interesting about that, you use the Posada comparison. I've talked about that uh, this week as well. Because what I remember uh, at the end of the 1999 season, the Yankees had this you know young switch hitting catcher, hit for power, high on base percentage yep. of Posada, but someone who some of the veteran pitchers, including David, didn't like to throw to, and uh, there were staffers on that team that preferred Joe Girardi yep. over uh, over Posada. You know, one of those being Joe Torre. Well, at the end of that year, Carl, Joe Girardi had a had a club option or something like that. They they basically pushed him out the door. And they were like, nope, we're done because we have an opportunity to have an offensive catcher, a guy who is going to separate himself in terms of our production at that position relative to other teams. And to to reinforce that, Brian Cashman, their general manager, signed basically a third-tier backup. Like there was not going to be any doubt from his perspective, you are going to play Jorge Posada because he's going to be an excellent player at that position. And he went on, as we know, to having a, a you know career that at some point I think will get him elected to the Hall of Fame by some sort of special committee. So I've wondered this week, you know, would it have been better within the Cardinals organization if, and we assume that the some of the backlash that led to this was from the pitchers, if they just simply sort of told the pitchers, look, you know what? You guys have a pitch comm device. Stop complaining. Go pitch your games. And we're, we're keeping Contreras in this spot. 
not only because we believe in his offensive production that position, but also because the dominoes that you just made reference to the impact all the other parts of the team. Yeah. And look, there's a, there's a couple of factors that go in here. You're replacing an absolute legend. Um, yes. And, and because you're replacing a legend, I think sometimes people seem to want to remember the legend as opposed to where Molina was at the end here with the Cardinals, which was, which was absent most of the time. He didn't play a ton last year. Uh, he it was ugly. Didn't. The last he, year was ugly. Exactly. He didn't produce. And if you look at all the defensive metrics for Contreras, it's not like he, he's egregiously bad at anything. You know, he, he's just he's just not. So uh, I, I don't know. It feels like it's, it's almost like when a manager gets fired and you realize always, like, it's not the manager. Like, he's going to go and be a manager of the year somewhere else. He's going to leave here and go win World Series somewhere else. So it wasn't as if he was that bad with us. It, it didn't it didn't fit, so we made this decision that we may come to regret. In the Contreras case, look, if they move him to the outfield and they can and they can still capitalize on his bat, I, I don't know. But it it did feel it did feel knee jerk, um, and I think sometimes. The Flaherty's, uh, even Wainwright after his first start back was like, I don't know. I have no idea what the heck happened. I was pitching great for four or five innings, and then it just kind of went went awry. Th- there's a confusion there. And as our producer on the call pointed out yesterday, Buster, prior to the outcome of the Yankees game yesterday, the Yankees were the same number of games back in their division that the Cardinals were. And yeah. I think most people would sit there and say, well, the Yankees are probably going to make the playoffs, so why aren't the Cardinals? And obviously we've seen the Pirates struggle as well. So, look, I'm not trying to paint this as a, wow, they were in great shape. But, you know, I don't, I don't look at the Cardinals and their roster and think this is like the season's over. And maybe they do in St. Louis. I don't know, but I don't think so. I completely agree with you because the division is so forgiving. If you told me that the Cardinals weren't first place in two and a half or three months, that, would, that wouldn't surprise me yeah, because, me because of, of what they're going against. And, and we'll talk about one of the teams that they're in competition with. They may have, uh, you know, in a position where at the trade deadline, they're going to sell. And those would be some big names. Red Sox, tell me about uh, your conversations about that team, because clearly they have and after playing a really difficult schedule early on, I remember talking to one of the folks in the organization who said, you know, I don't really believe in strength of schedule, but I do think we're about ready to take off. And boy, that that guy was exactly right. I think everybody acknowledges that they're going to score. I think everybody has been overly impressed with and, and somewhat curious what Jaron Duran's ability to maintain this pace is going to be through the season. We got into the um, aspect of the Dustin Pedroia spring training hitting instruction, change the batting sets, lift those hands up, send a swing more level, keep that plane through the zone longer. Had a, uh, had a big hit the other night, uh, had a couple, but he had that double in which they emphasized on the broadcast that that sort of swing path change that Pedroia was instrumental in. We know that Alec Cora has really loved his athleticism for a long time and we'll see, maybe he's putting it together. Um, in that game against the Braves, Duran got a double. Next next guy up is Tristan Cassis. First pitch he sees, he puts it into the seat. So in a lot of ways, part of that conversation we had was around the, you know, the first month and a half here that that in some ways it's a high and bloom affirmation, like some of the things I did, you know, everybody jumped down my throat. We should probably revisit the Mookie Betts deal with Verdugo and Wong. Maybe not as one-sided as everybody 
you know, jumped to the conclusion early on and, and rightfully so Mookie's a, Mookie's a hall of fame player. And those two guys, you know, aren't, but you had a, if you had to shed payroll and you're not going to pay Mookie, then what did you get back in return? And the return looks a little bit better now than it did. The Chris sale improvement is dramatic. Is that going to be something that he can continue because he has looked really good. Bayo for the first time, the last couple of starts has looked really good. You know, it, it is going to be about their pitching for sure. And, uh, that, that's something that the next – similarly, the Red Sox, you know, who are, what, five, six games over 500, could be five, six under in a couple of months. They could also maintain their place. They could they could elevate. I think they've been a, a pleasant surprise and probably haven't been paid attention to in Boston as much because the Bruins were in the playoffs and subsequently lost. And here are the Celtics that are going to play a game seven on Sunday. So I think when the, when the page, the sports page has turned to the Red Sox, if it stays this way, there'll be an interesting team up there. People will be curious. How good is this going to is going to be? Yeah, it does feel like they're kind of at a crossroad in that regard. And I, you and I talked last week about some of the headlines we started to see that you know the 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 way they were playing vindicated Hein Bloom, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's Boston, and the standards are set by the Patriots and the Red Sox, for that matter. Four World Series uh, yeah. championships in the last twenty years. And the Bruins had coming off this great season. The Celtics, with all their history, actually having success in the postseason in the playoffs means something. Uh, and, and so if they finish 83 and 79, the Red Sox fan base, you and I know this, they're not going to look at that as being a successful year. And I don't think I don't think Bloom will either. I mean, I assume he, he yeah. you know, he knows. He's very well aware of it. He sat with us in our booth, uh, you know, during spring training. He, he's aware of that. But I do think that, you know, one of the keys is the development of these younger players. I mean, that's become no a doubt. thing for the Red Sox, which it hasn't always been a thing for the Red Sox. And when Dombrowski has, has got your teams to World Series, it's because generally of the free agency side. And it's not generally, even though the Phillies got there last year with some of the younger guys performing. And Phillies going through the same thing. If Bohm and Stott are, are making that jump, congratulations. That's what the Red Sox are hoping happens with them. We got this bleacher tweet from Andrew DeSalvo, who listened to the podcast from Wednesday. We had on Lindsay Barra, who's the executive producer of this new documentary on her grandfather, yeah. Yogi Berra. And he asked the question, Don, over your interview last podcast about the great Yogi Berra, are there any teams for whom you think it is getting late early out there, and of course, a Yogiism, right. for their postseason hope? Just pick a team that you feel like it's getting late early, Carl in terms of reaching uh, the playoffs and exclude the tanking teams? I would say the Angels, um, because I think that division is going to be is going to be Seattle's and Houston's, even though Houston has pitching problems. There just hasn't been enough for me from the Angels to think that this is the year that they get Trout and Otani into the postseason. And I think they made moves to attempt to do that. So, I'm, you know, and it's not even that their their record's fine. It's not. It's just that I, I'm skeptical about their long term outlook this season compared to the other teams. You know, look, you could we could easily have this conversation about the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals do come back in that division. I think they're very much yes. in the playoff conversation. Um, Seattle would be – I think Seattle's better than they're playing. I, I do. I think their pitching is better. So, I, you know, it's kind of the AL West where I would where I would focus on as 
wow, what a disappointment. Because I think most of the other teams that we kind of expected to be to be doing well are doing well. I think the Yankees have a very when, – when they get healthy, are going to be fine. There's not a lot, but I look at the, the Angels as that, like, it's, it's, it's an effort, and I, don't, I just don't know that it's going to work. The team for me uh, would be early on, and I, you know, I think they certainly have enough talent to turn around, or the Mets. Because, uh, you know, given the construction of the team, the way that something that absolutely has to happen for that team is strong production out of this rotation in which they invested a ton of money. Yeah. You know, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, uh, et cetera, down the line. And, Carl, I don't know if that necessarily is going to happen across the board for that group because the injury and the age. they That group has to essentially make up for what they're not getting out of their offense. With Starling Marte, Mark Hanna, they're not hitting early on. The question's going to be, can they – Can they? it's almost like the Braves and the Rays are in a similar conversation. Is anybody going to catch them at all? this year, given the starts they've gotten out to. Atlanta's tremendous. I mean, they, they really are. They're, they're so well put together. But if you look at Miami and Philadelphia sitting there at 500 and what, the, what that division is capable of, look, I, I, I think the Mets have more talent uh, than Miami. I've been very bullish on the Phillies. I think I thought that they would compete with the Braves. I'm, I'm a little skeptical because I think Atlanta has, has great and – better than I thought they would be. They're such a solid team. And, you know, having a healthy Acuna really changes the dynamic there. Um, Yeah, I, I, I would say I don't, I don't share that because I think they're better. Uh, I will say though, the next few weeks and maybe month, month and a half are really critical to see what Verlander and Scherzer are. I, I don't, I don't, I don't worry about them, but boy, I'd need to. I'd like to see some consistent, strong performances from two future Hall of Famers coming off amazing seasons. As you and I talk, the Mets have a run differential of minus fifteen, and I go back to this number since June first of last year. The Atlanta Braves are eighteen games better in the standings than the Mets, so a huge separation between those two teams. All right, the, I did this article uh, for ESPN about the early trade talk, some of the trade conversation going on. Early last May, I wrote a piece about Juan Soto maybe being yeah. out in the marketplace. Mike Rizzo, the general manager, dismissed that, said, no, we're not talking about that at all. Two months later, Juan Soto was in a Padre uniform. So this is right. what I'm hearing some of the same executives this year. They're looking at the Milwaukee Brewers as being a, a, a real linchpin in this year's trade market, which generally speaking, they think it's going to be weak, A, because – with these tanking teams like Oakland, the perception is those teams are not going to be offering a lot. It's not like they have a lot of desirable players. The A's have already traded away everybody. Kansas City Royals have struggled. Uh, you know, the guys that uh, would other teams be interested in, like uh, uh, Bobby Wood Jr., they're obviously not going to trade. But nope. the Milwaukee Brewers are an interesting team because of what they did last year. They were in first place at the trade deadline, as you know, and they wound up trading away. One of the best closers in baseball, Josh Hader, infuriated their fans, infuriated some of the players, and the rest of the year the Cardinals were 10 games better than the Brewers, and the Brewers wound up you know, not winning that division. Well, lo and behold, and the reason why they did that was because they wanted to take advantage of Hader's value uh, leading into yeah. the, you know, at the, in, in the trade deadline. Well, this year they've got three players, three stars – who are eligible for a free agency after 2024. So if you want to get value for these players, now is the time to deal them. 
Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, who's currently yep. hurt, but if he comes back, and Willie Adamas, the shortstop, there are actually some contenders who could wind up using a player like that, maybe the Dodgers, yep. uh, maybe the Atlanta Braves, depending on their situation. But I asked a couple of executives, what about the Brewers? What are the early signals? Do you think they actually would trade the players again, even if they're in contention? And the response was, why would they handle their business any differently than they right. did last year? Right. What would you think about that? Those three guys being out there? Yeah, no, I, I think it's legitimate. I think, that, and maybe they identify Burns as somebody we're not doing that with, or Woodruff, or whatever. Uh, Adamus, for sure. I think they would put him out there. They may put all three out there. Uh, but look, they got they they moved Hater, and I sit here and, and challenge you to, to tell me that you don't think the Brewers or Cardinals are going to finish first in that division. I know. I get completely, yeah, a hundred percent. So, I mean, that's, that's why they traded hater and here they got off to an unbelievable start. They, you know, look, one thing about baseball is, as we all know, you can get off to a great start. There's going to be six game losing streaks. There's going to be four game winning streaks. You're going to go two and eight and you're going to go eight and two. So this sort of regression to the, to the norm here uh, doesn't, doesn't bother me. The, the Cardinals, I mean, the uh, yeah, the Cardinals, the Brewers, um, I haven't come up with a reason. The Rays, uh, small market, that these teams won't have success. Um, the Red Sox have won championships and finished last in several other years. There, there are teams that you know when they are, as you said, tanking. Like, the Brewers don't tank. They, you know, the Cardinals don't tank. The Rays never tank. So trading one of those, two of those guys, there, there's enough faith and, you know, maybe the biggest offseason might be what happens to David Stearns. I mean, I, maybe, maybe that's that's going to be the biggest thing because the way that he's run things in Milwaukee and we know that he's he's the apple of other teams' eyes, maybe he's – when he goes, the dynamic in Milwaukee changes. But I don't know. Craig Council finds a way to win. You know, his teams find a way to win. So – yeah, it wouldn't shock me, Buster, if one of those or two of those guys get traded, but I would never look at it like, oh, my God, the, the Brewers just threw the towel in. And they're really good at collecting and identif identifying yes. collecting young players and turning it over. And, you know, the, the comparison that I heard from executives was uh, when you mentioned about David Stearns and, and Craig Council is what happened in Tampa Bay with Andrew Freeman and Joe Madden. They both left that organization at the same time, went to different teams, well, David Stearns, as you know, is sort of put on double secret probation by ownership there. You know, he got moved out of that, that head spot. Great Council's contract is up at the end of this year, and there are executives of other teams who expect that he's going to leave. So it could be very different and maybe yeah. uh, a very different organization moving forward, as you say, and maybe getting some young players for these stars in July is, is how you be, begin to transition this team uh, to that time. All right, Carl. Uh, thanks for doing this. I will see you at Fenway on Sunday. All right, Buster. Look forward to it. See you. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, 
and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. I guess an example of great minds think alike uh, involves uh, the person who you're going to speak about uh, with your first item in the Numbers Game today. I, I texted you. I was like, hey, get anything? Can you include something on Casey Schmidt? But you already, already had something prepared, huh? I did, I did. Now it is also, as I've talked about on here, a great example of differing sleep schedules because I always prepare for the numbers game the night before because I watch every game, I stay up to last out, and then, you know, so I can get a little more sleep before we chat. I already have my list ready. You text me in the morning at like 7 a.m. and I answer 10 minutes before the podcast and said, absolutely, I already was planning to. Awesome. Well, yeah, we do wind up a lot of situations where our brains are kind of working on similar planes. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is eight. So speaking of Casey Schmidt, who played in his third career game last night in Arizona for the Giants, he had eight eight hits already in his first three career games he had four hits last night his eight hits are tied for the second most in any player's first three career games since 1901 behind only a player in 1938 Coker Triplett who had nine hits in his first eight uh three career games and if you just go with Giants history the only guy with eight hits in his first three career games, Willie McCovey in 1959, who, of course, also holds the record for the fewest games played in this season by a position player to win rookie of the year. Just incredible, incredible Giants history. He also showed off, like, every tool in the book last night in the game. He had a really fast run on the bases. He had a home run. At 443 feet, more than 110 miles an hour off the bat. And he threw a ball on 92.7 miles an hour, which was the second fastest track in field assist in the majors this season, just 0.1 miles an hour behind the throw from O'Neill Cruz. You know you're in the ball well in the infield when you're on the list with him. Number two. Number two is zero. So Nathan Valdi is pitching like the Cy Young winner 
that Djibouti needed for that Rangers team. Unfortunately, Jacob DeGrom has been out not pitching, but again, Ovaldi has been sparkling over his last few games. So in his last three outings, he's gone at least eight innings in each of them and has not allowed a run. He has a 28 and two-third scoreless streak, but he is the first pitcher since Clayton Kershaw in 2015 to have at least three straight scoreless outings of at least eight innings pitch. Kershaw had a streak of four straight. And by the way, the last guy before Kershaw to do that, three straight scoreless outings of eight innings, was Martin Perez in 2015 wow. for the Rangers. Number one. Number one is 98. We'll go with. So when I should have said 400, actually, but that's okay. <laughs> so when Kenley Jansen recorded his 400th save on Wednesday night, obviously an awesome achievement, becoming the seventh guy to record 400 saves. But what really impressed me was the velocity he showed. So it was three fastest pitches in that outing, 98.4, 98.5, 98.7. And the last time that he had thrown a pitch as hard as even the slowest of those three I just said was August 27th of 2016. He's now thrown 11 pitches of at least 97 this season. That's more 97-mile-an-hour pitches than he threw from 2017 through 2022 combined when he had eight. He has looked entirely different, and it's just been really exciting to see what he's doing. And you have to be so happy for the player who, as I mentioned, we were getting ready for a Sunday baseball uh, game this week was the guy people were talking about with the pitch timer, being worried he wouldn't adapt. Instead, he has adapted and started throwing the ball harder as well. I would encourage everybody also, Sarah, to read the piece that was done by June Lee uh, on ESPN.com. came out this morning by Kenley Jansen uh, dealing with uh, anxiety and depression and getting therapy for that and encouraging people to have therapy. It was a very well-done piece and, and I'm excited to see Kenley over the weekend, talk to him about it and uh, see where he's at. Uh, as we mentioned this Sunday, Sunday night baseball, it's going to be mother's day. You and I, Sarah, I think share this is that we both have mothers. My mom passed away in 2006 who really were wonderfully encouraging with our love of baseball. You know, my mom bought me my first pack of cards. I think she regretted it uh, many days that I would leave the cards around the house. But your mom is someone who uh, has supported your love of baseball, your love of sports. Absolutely. I mean, I was actually talking about this just last weekend on Willie May's birthday, which was last Saturday, May 6th. I would not be who I am sitting here talking to you, talking about baseball, talking about Casey Schmidt, if not for my mother, who grew up just in a huge, huge baseball fan. We talked about the Beatles versus the Willie um, Mays things and kind of splitting that with her sister. Her sister was the Beatles fan. She was 
the Williams Mansion baseball band she got back from my grandfather Harvey and I I mean you talked about supportive and it goes so much further beyond baseball. I mean she is an incredibly, incredibly supportive person in my life. She makes so much possible, especially now when I need a little more help every now and then with pretty much everything other than doing my job. So I'm so, so grateful for her. And I get to hang out with her this Sunday, actually, um, which will be great. She'll be here. I'll be getting ready for a Sunday baseball game. We'll watch baseball together. I'll probably quiz her on some stat. I had dinner with her last night. We were talking about Kenley Jansen. I said, hey, can you name the six other guys with 400 saves? And she almost got her. She got very, very close, and all of her guesses were very, very entertaining. We got to, oh, that guy on the mats, and I'm like, does she mean K-Rod or Billy Wagner? We got there with all of it. She is an amazing, amazing person. What are you giving her for Mother's Day? Can you tell us? Uh, I don't really want to, but there are going to be a few surprises. The reason I'm not saying it is because, as I said, incredibly supportive. So I know she'll be listening to this. So I don't want to give it away. <laughs> but there will be one thing she gets on Sunday. One thing is on its way. And then something else. A little later in the month, I'm super excited about, but uh, we'll have to be slightly post-Mother's Day. All right. Well, at some point, I'm going to have to get the details on that. Thanks, Sarah. It's great to see you. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America or all around the world. Or you can go to ToddRadom.com. Todd, how you doing? Buster, I am well, sir. How are you today? I'm doing great. I love the picture the other day that I was sent at Damon's Bound. Yes. Uh, a uh, regular listener in the podcast, the niece of uh, the, the writing legend, Peter Gammons. You guys took in a game together in Philadelphia, yes? Yes, yes, yes. We are Philly friends. I moved here again in November, and Debbie is one of the first people I reached out to and said, hey, we got to get together. We've got to go to a game. And here we are six months later. We got to a game. She is pointed in her commentary. I think you would agree with me on that. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> she, she has strong opinions. Uh, that's for sure. And all do. <laughs> well, it's it's just perfect that she lives in Philly then, isn't it, though? Exactly. She's like other Phillies fans. Exactly. Uh, we got this question from a Bleach tweeter, Blue Domer Dave. He says, question for Todd. I'm a lifelong Orioles fan, and I only recently noticed that in the logos of the cartorials, the birds are wearing caps. So as a designer, what's your favorite hat-on-hat hat logo? Orioles cartoon, the Range Cowboy hats, another? Wow. That's a great question. And one of the things that's always fascinated me about the, about the Orioles bird on their cap is that there's kind of an infinite regression thing going on. The bird is wearing a cap. It's on a cap, you know, and we can just keep going from there. But uh, as a standalone logo, I really have always loved the charming quirkiness of the Texas Rangers hat on a baseball. Is that a giant baseball? Is it a tiny hat? I really have no idea. There's no denying the, uh, like I said, the charm of it. 
Uh, the Orioles is a great one. The Phillies had a hat with the b- b- like in the 50s and 60s, long forgotten now. But I think I have to go with the Rangers with a with the Orioles a close second. But the caveat here is the fact that the Rangers hat on a ball never appeared on their caps. Thank God Taylor's not here. Right. I mean, Taylor would have just marred this whole conversation, all these opinions with his Oriole history. You're probably right, Buster. Maybe he should live in Philly. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. So, Buster, this stadium's first major league game featured a snowstorm, which resulted in the infield turf being cleared by a Zamboni machine that was borrowed from an NHL team. The ballpark had a roof over the bleachers, but none over the grandstand. And the furthest reaches of that grandstand included seats that were a whopping 120 feet from home plate, over a sixth of a mile away from the batter. Exhibition Stadium in Toronto, formerly known as the Canadian National Exhibition Stadium, or CNE Stadium, played host to the Toronto Blue Jays for their first 968 home games from 1977 until May of 1989. And 23 million fans attended games there. A truly weird place. Exhibition Stadium included seats with backs along the third baseline, while fans sitting along the top half of the first baseline, including me, had to settle for aluminum benches, which froze in the spring and fall and baked in summertime. Ooh. Yeah, a new scoreboard was added when the Jays arrived, and it was located 200 feet behind a removable outfield wall. Former Blue Jays president Paul Beeston once said, it wasn't the worst stadium in baseball, it was the worst stadium in sports noting the fact that despite all of it, it represented a home and a fresh start for a brand new franchise. Exhibition Stadium was the fourth sporting facility to have been constructed on the site of the CNE, Canada's largest annual fair. The first structure was built in 1879, and the ultimately final version of Exhibition Stadium was built piecemeal over approximately three decades, starting in 1948. A multi-sport facility The final significant renovation took place in anticipation of Toronto's inclusion in Major League Baseball, which occurred in 1977 when the expansion Blue Jays joined the American League. Beginning with that first snowy game, which was played on April 7, 1977, playing conditions at Exhibition Stadium were subject to many whims of the weather gods. The ballpark was located close to Lake Ontario, and the wind coming off the lake was a force to be reckoned with. On April 30th, 1984, the Jays were playing the Texas Rangers, and strong winds coming off the lake caused the game to be postponed after only six pitches. Home plate umpire Don Dankinger said, behind home plate, it was looking like a sand, like looking into a sand blaster. How about that? <laughs> Half an inch of dirt around the AstroTurf bases was completely blown away before play was called. Two years later, fog was the star of the game. On June 12th, 1986, Toronto's Kelly Gruber lofted a lazy fly ball toward a completely fogged-over outfield. The Detroit Tigers outfielders couldn't see the ball, which rolled all the way to the right center field wall for a home run. After a half-hour delay, the game was called, giving the Jays the win. Throughout the ballpark's tenure, Seagulls descended in droves, much to the chagrin of Yankees outfielder and future Toronto World Series hero (laughs) Dave Winfield. (laughs) The X was never was meant to be a placeholder until something better could be built. And on May 28, 1989, the Blue Jays played their final game there before moving into the ultra state-of-the-art retractable roofed sky dome, which is now known as the Rogers Center. 
Exhibition Stadium was demolished in 1999, and much of the site was replaced by the 28,000-seat DMO field, home to Major League Soccer's Toronto FC team. Go to the parking lot that's just south of the current stadium, have a look at the plaques that mark home plate and first, second, and third bases, and then imagine the snow and the fog and the seagulls at weird old Exhibition Stadium, which is this week's forgotten field. I can't imagine that what they came up with took them 30 years to three decades to construct, as you noted, uh, you know, <laughs> exhibition stadium. And I love Paul Beeson's honesty. And I also think over time, Todd, and maybe it was because Camden Yards came so shortly, so soon after uh, Skydome opened, people don't really realize what a big deal Skydome was at the time it opened. Yeah, I would agree with you. And of course, this stadium has undergone massive renovations. Uh, starting this year, and uh, it's 30 years old. It hasn't had an all-star game since, uh, well, it's more than 30 years old now. Let's do the math. 32 years old. Yeah. Uh, since 32 years since the all-star game was played there. But, yes, it was uh, absolute, as I said earlier, state of the art. This was the next big thing. And then, boom, Camden Yards comes along, changes everything. The charm of Camden Yards, the retro style and feel to it kind of put – then Comiskey Park, which was pretty new, and uh, Sky Dome in the uh, in the, the the in the dust, so to speak. But uh, again, the, the theme here is Exhibition Stadium was the team's first home. It it served as a temporary place to get the whole thing started. And by the time they moved into Sky Dome in the middle of the 1989 season, this was a team that was well on its way, and it would soon win two consecutive World Series. I remember jogging when I was covering the Orioles back in 1995-96, jogging along the water there and seeing an exhibition stadium and thinking to myself, my God, it looks like a, a glorified high school field. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, you know, again, it was such a weird, weird place to watch a game. You, yeah. There were uh, roller coasters in the outfield from the amusement park, from Canadian National Exhibition out there. And uh, as noted, I, can, I attended a couple of games there and can absolutely remember going to a game in – I'm pretty sure it was September 1988. A little bit chilly on those aluminum benches with the wind blowing off Lake Buster the last weeks of the season. And uh, it was an experience that I savor, but um, <laughs> I'm happy I got there before it went down. <laughs> All right, let's get to this week's quiz. Uh, Sarah has a winning streak in probably because she got the answer right, even though she wasn't even here. So it's uh, I don't and Sarah I don't know if you have something from Taylor uh, if he he also is is following your strategy of just picking a letter. <laughs> yeah, you know I'm just that good. I don't even need to be here <laughs> to know wow. the answer. Go with it. Go with it. All right, guys. Here's this week's question. Are you going with the same strategy, Sarah? Are you going to ride that same strategy? Just pick a, before the question is asked. Just pick a letter. Okay. Okay. Let's try it. Um, B. Oh, that was her winning letter last week. Well, oh, wait, wait, can I do A then? I'm going to oh, do A. Bitch, you're going to second a. guess yourself. If you yeah. pick A and it turns out to be B, you're going to be so bummed. I have to ask you, is that your final answer? A is my final answer. Wow. Buster, are you going to employ this strategy as well? No. Or can I ask no, the question? No, I can't do it. All right, here we go. <laughs> week 10 of our quiz. The New York Yankees and one other team do not have an alternate uniform as part of their regular rotation. So what team is that? Is it A, the Detroit Tigers? Is it B, the LA Dodgers? Is it C, the Cubs? Or is it D, the Rockies? The Yankees and one other team do not have an alternate uniform 
as part of their regular rotation? Tigers, Dodgers, Cubs, or Rockies? I feel pretty good with A. You said Cardinals, Dodgers, Cubs, Tiger, Rockies. Tigers, Dodgers, Cubs, Rockies. And there are no colors involved, Buster, so just go for it. I know. I, well, I have an instinct, but then I, 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 you know, in my mind's eye, I've seen other ones. Oh, goodness. I'm going to go with A. And is Taylor registering a letter? Um, we'll register Taylor as C. C. Well, Taylor's a loser. Yes. Don't tell him that. <laughs> Sarah and Buster are both winners because the Detroit Tigers do not, as of this very moment, have wow. an alternate uniform. So there we go. Wow. Sarah wow. drawing blind. Good Lord. You better go play the lottery the way it's going. You know, I, I have said in the past couple of weeks that uh, not far from me, there is a Sarah Street here in Philadelphia. And close by there, there is a casino. So maybe Sarah needs to go to Sarah Street, walk over to the casino, and just put it all on red because she is rolling the dice hot. This is a lot of trivia nights. This is a lot of ACT prep courses that yeah, my parents man. enrolled me in. I am, you know, <laughs> very thankful now. Those strategies are paying off in the most important of ways right here. <laughs> exactly all right todd thanks for doing this i love your cap you're all right thank you guys. cap as we speak it's been awesome absolutely see you guys thank you bleacher tweets all right buster it is time for bleacher tweets and time before... for your rant let's hear your rant yes. Sarah, i can't who are you gonna rip which team uh which entity uh which musical artist tell me what you got Okay, well, it's going to be a little bit of a different rant. It's going to be a rant about how great my mom is. Shocker. Because, yeah, you know what? She It's Mother's Day. She did all oh, well on Sunday. But oh, this is our, you know, right before Mother's Day. She deserves it. I mean, she flew in across the country to take care of me for a week when I probably was fine in all reality and we just had the best time we binge watched Abbott Elementary she was there for me through every stage of it all and I was not like the easiest patient at times I was rather dramatic in some moments and she handled it all like a champ so shout out to all the moms out there and shout out to Patty Abbott so tell me about your goodbye before she left what was that like I sobbed I don't know if it was just like the medicine or the emotions, but oh my gosh, I in the car ride was sobbing saying goodbye to her. I love my mom so much. She's like one of my best friends. So shout out again, Patty Abbott, you're the best. Now Taylor's had some really great rants. I think the uh, the rant early in the season about the Oakland Athletics come to mind. You know, he was upset about the Orioles at one point, but I think yours takes the lead. You know, oh, I mean, it was excellent rant. Nice. Thank you so much. I thought, you know, we needed a little nice rant going into the weekend. A little positivity. And I would expect nothing less from you, Sarah. Well, they call my mom Positive Patty, so or P-squared for short. So, you know what? It works out perfectly. Exactly. So the first one is Stewie1969. He says, I'm with you guys on the anti-tanking stance. What could that look like? Possibly a salary floor where maybe your top three highest salaried players can't represent more than a set percentage of the whole payroll to eliminate the signing of one 40 million man, or maybe the salary tranches and a floor where you have to employ a certain number of players within each tranche. This makes the assumption that with increasing salary comes increasing skills. Thoughts? 
Well, Stewie, I think first off, I mean, we know this, uh, in the last round of uh, labor negotiations, the player association made it very clear that they would not accept a, you know, anything that had a salary ceiling. And that's what the owners are attaching the salary floor to. I think the first step toward uh, eliminating tanking or reducing the, the, uh, the incentive to tank has to come from the owners where they have to step forward and say, look, we're going to protect our product. We're going to protect uh, our business and we're not going to allow owners to do that. Um, and, you know, maybe the a way of doing that is for the owners to set a basic minimum. Like now, based on where salaries are uh, and where payrolls are and where franchise values are, I think an easy place to start is 75 million. This idea that you're going to have teams with a $40 million payroll is a joke. So at least get a bit the owners can set some kind of a floor themselves by having a standard within that group and also to put rules in place uh essentially saying look if you lose 100 games uh, three years in a row then your ownership's under review because you can't do that unless you're trying to do it they should hold their peers to a higher standard for the sake of their the business that they all own Next up is at PK Steinberg triple dog dare you not to mention the A's for a long time nope <laughs> never PK, too late. We just did. <laughs> Next up is Ethan James. At the moment, Jacob DeGrom feels more like a luxury than a necessity for the Rangers. Should they be cautious with him until games get more meaningful toward the ends of the season? Well, they should give him appropriate medical treatment, right? Uh, I mean, it definitely feels like at times people question whether or not he's actually hurt. I'm sure that he's, you know, that he's injured in some capacity. I'm sure that he's he's got the feelings that he does. And I think they should just be cautious uh, and get him back to a point where he feels right to pitch. That should be the standard uh, rather than saving him for more meaningful games at the end of the season. And I look, if he's on the mound, he's the best pitcher in baseball. That's what we've seen. Even in the games when he's gotten hurt, you know, it's like four no hit innings and then he comes out. So, uh, you know, you, you just hope he pitches as many innings that, uh, that I'm say 100 innings this year would be great considering the way the season started for him. Next up is Jonathan at Batboy Wannabe. Awesome at Jonathan. Hey, Buster, enjoyed your piece breaking down the way this year's trade deadline is shaping up. Wondered if you think Cody Bellinger is likely a trade candidate. He's off to a much better start this year, batting 0.288, seven homers and a 0.89 OPS. Yeah, so uh, I don't think so. And I'll tell you why, because he's in the National League Central with the Cubs. And that division is so bad. It's so compromised that I can't see the, see the Cubs being way out of it by the time we get to the trade deadline. Uh, you know, and for an ownership, which has been under some criticism by the fan base for not spending, let's say that they are, you know, three games out of first place within the division uh, by the time we get the trade deadline. You can't be sellers. You just can't. And they have so much payroll flexibility. They're the Chicago Cubs. So I think that he'll wind up staying. And I am curious to see if during the course of the year, he's going to wind up having some conversations with the Cubs because he seems really happy there. He seems really comfortable. He's played in a big market. He's turned his uh, offense around. We'll see. I think he's represented by Scott Boris, which makes it unlikely that he would agree to a deal. But we have seen Scott Boris clients agreed to contracts in the last year, at least a few of them, guys like Steven Strasburg. And our last one from the, for the day comes from Stewie1969. As discussed on the Wednesday pod, the AL East continues to be the class of the league. 
this season more than ever with less infighting due to a bound schedule and the resurgence of the O's. I feel that we should only refer to it as AL Beast from this point on. Okay. You know what? As long as all five teams are over 500, we'll call it the AL Beast. And right now, what the Yankees are the team that, uh, you know, probably the biggest threat to that. And that is all for Bleacher Tweets. Be sure to submit Bleacher Tweets every week using hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. My thanks today to Sarah Langs, to Carl Rabbits, to Todd Radom, to Sarah Abbott. Sarah, again, welcome back. So excited to see your face. It's been so good to be back. I, I definitely am someone who gets antsy not working. So <laughs> I'm happy to be back. All right. Thanks for doing the podcast. Now you get the weekend off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> First day back and then the weekend. <laughs> All right. Well, stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.